Welcome to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We are located at 3501 Cheviot Avenue, Cincinnati, Ohio. It is our mission to worship and follow Jesus as we love and serve in his name. Come see us sometime at 1030 on a Sunday morning or while we feed the community at the Bread of Life Cafe each Wednesday evening at 530 p.m. We hope that the following message inspires you in some way today. All right, just like uh, Finley read, we are looking at the end of chapter 1 of Philippians. So, uh, you can transition now to reading chapter 2 once a day and and still read the whole book of Philippians once a week. Uh, But I like how we're systematically going through this very uh, special letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. And so we're going to uh, end today uh, having gone through Philippians chapter 1, 27 through 30. And although these letters weren't written initially with chapter and verse breaks, I understand why the organizers of the Bible broke here at the end of 30, because 27 through 30 is really like this big you know, punch at the end of a, a speech or something like that. It's very encouraging, very condensed, kind of intense. And it uh, moves into a, just a different segment of the letter that Paul wanted to write. So it makes, makes good sense. Let's look at that, and, and we'll read it one more time. I think uh, just the public reading of Scripture is super important. Paul says in verse 27, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then... Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you, that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God." For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I am, that I still have. Right off the bat, and I want to apologize, uh, we're going to do a sermon from the 1980s without a PowerPoint today. <laughs> I just could not get my brain on, on the PowerPoint slides this week, so I apologize if, if anyone, I know that's an important part of learning, visualizing it, and I intend to do that each week, I just didn't do it this week. Uh, but let's, let's go through these verses together. Right off the bat, the, the words, the two coupled words at the beginning of this that absolutely caught my attention this week, whatever happens, you've lived through whatever happens. We all know life is whatever happens. There is no guarantee about what will happen today, tomorrow, the next day, the next minute. Any one of us who have any perspective on life at all understand that there's a whatever happens approach. As Christians, this is who Paul's writing to. He's writing to a church that he helped plant and he's from a distance. Things aren't going great for him, and things aren't going great for them, but there is great community between the both of them. And he's saying, listen, whatever happens, 
Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. I love that phrase. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And just taking from the first chapter of Philippians, let me show you some whatever happens. Whether I'm feeling this great partnership in the gospel with you. Whether I'm in chains or I'm defending or I'm confirming the faith. Whether I'm at a distance from you and I'm longing to be with you. Whether there's people that are preaching the gospel out of false motives or true. Whether I'm contemplating whether I'd rather live or die for Christ, but no matter if I'm living or dying, I'm going to be for Christ. No matter if we're together or we're apart, whatever happens. Those are just examples from the first chapter of Philippians. What would you put into the whatever happens? You're a mentor discipling a young Christian and you want him or her to know that life is not always fair for the believer. That good things don't always happen to good people. That following the gospel isn't a, a shield from suffering. What would you tell them? Because we've got to be able to tell that truth. And Paul says, whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. What a motivating phrase. What is a manner worthy of the gospel in your opinion? If we were going to make a list of ways to live in a way that's worthy of the gospel, would you say selfless? Generous? Honest? Ethical, full of integrity, full of love for everyone, kind, respectful, willing to serve, humble, and on and on and on they go. The virtuous Christian values that we are called to live in as a manner worthy of the gospel. And here's my plug for discipleship. Discipleship happens best when a mentor is willing to use their life, both good and bad, as an example for Christ. And where someone else is willing to be trained in Christ. But it takes the willingness of both people. And, either, and, and all of us might serve in either capacity at any time. And that's something that we all need to know. That as a Christian... We all should be being mentored. And we should be desirous of that. We should humbly and willingly be honest enough with someone that we love and trust in the Lord where they can say, good job, Miller. Or, how'd you make that decision, bud? How'd you come to that one? It's even better, and this happens very rarely, and if, if you have a different experience than me, in my experience, in my life, and in the lives of people that I've been involved with, very rarely are we wise enough to ask for advice before we need advice. <laughs> when we're considering doing something stupid or wise. When I'm thinking about disobeying God. 
When I'm thinking about going outside of the Lord's will, we rarely ask for advice then. Faithful Christians come and say, you know what, I messed up. I need to confess. We do that some pretty good sometimes. But what about if we were humble enough and serious enough about conducting ourselves, our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel that I, when I was considering sinful behavior, I'd come to my mentor. When I'm considering lying, being deceitful, you know, acting on lustfulness, being honest with a temptation. Part of a life worthy of the gospel is not only being willing to use the truth of your life to mentor and help and assist someone else, but to humbly place yourself at the feet of a Christ follower and say, help me be better in Jesus' name. And that's what our church ought to be about. Our church ought to be about that. Being better in Jesus' name. Not pridefulness, not arrogance, not look at me but I, in a manner worthy of the gospel. Is our very best effort, is our honest life, our confessional life, our obedient life worthy of the gospel? Man, it is. Christ is worth it. Jesus is worth it. His life is worth it. That's the first thing that really struck me this week, whatever happens. And it happens. But when it happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. The second part that struck me big was that in that uh, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of Christ, I think oftentimes as uh, humans and specifically as Americans, we have a very me-oriented perspective. We're generally, generally selfish, self-oriented, narcissistic people. And confess that. Let's, all of us struggle with narcissism and selfishness. The thing that I realized, it just blew out of the page for me. Paul is writing this to the Philippian church. When he's saying, conduct yourselves He's not intending thousands of years later for me to be reading this and, and me saying, conduct myself. He's writing it to a church broadly and saying, hey, y'all, conduct yourselves together. And that's part of the Christian community that we need to build that I'm not doing just individual good for the Lord, but I'm a part of a family and a team and a Christian community that's doing something wonderful for the Lord or many things wonderful for the Lord. And then once we get that Christian community here going, now broad Christian community. There are a lot of Christ-honoring, Jesus-following churches in Westwood, in Cincinnati, in northern Kentucky, the tri-state area, Ohio, America, the nation, the world. The broad Christian community. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy and here's something that we need to just, just allow to be true in our lives. Lord, may I be easily convinced by the truth of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
when you're thinking about, when we're thinking about conducting ourselves, may each of our hearts be soft enough to recognize the truth of Jesus Christ. That we allow ourselves to be humble enough to accept what's right and live in it. Conducting ourselves is not just an individual thing. It's a, a communal thing. The next thing I want to talk about is conducting ourselves. Our actions make our words believable. There's actually an expectation for Christian conduct. There's an expectation for Christian conduct. When we put on the name of Jesus, there's a way of living that we start living. And it's not a perfect life. At the very least, it's a confessional life. That we admit that I need to do better in my conduct for Christ, but I'm motivated by Christ to live for Christ. And I know that my actions make my words believable. We know that's true in marriage. Tell your spouse you love them, then act for a day like you don't. They won't believe your words. Tell your coworker you're sorry for whatever bad behavior, and then do it again the next minute. They won't believe that you're sorry. Tell people that you love them, and then be deceitful to them. They won't, they won't believe you. They won't believe me. So when we're talking about conduct, there's an expectation for Christian conduct. And Paul writes a lot of those things here, but it's also found, we can find that in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, just the book before. And this is just one example of several examples that Paul gives to the churches that he loves. He's saying that your actions matter. And this is Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 6. As prisoners for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. That sounds it's similar language. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Therefore, as one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is an expectation when we put on Christ that he even starts affecting our conduct. How you treat people matters. Whether you wear your cross on the outside or you don't wear a cross at all. When we claim Christ as our Lord, there's an expected conduct. And we give, a good, we give God a good name when we follow in that Christian conduct or we are willing to confess when we've not. 
John says in 1 John that if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you'll have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus will continually forgive you of your sins. Perfection is not our goal. Trust and dependence in Jesus and confession when we fall short of Christian conduct. That should be an expectation for a Christian. The way it's said in Ephesians chapter 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. That phrase is just as compelling to me as conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. So the question is, are you making every effort? This, this is hard business right now. This is senior level Christianity. When someone hurts you, what do you do? When someone disrespects you, what do you do? When someone lies to you, what do you do? When someone offends you, what do you do? Make every effort. I think a mature Christian can realize that they've blown it too. And I wanted people to be patient with me. That should be compelling to us. Two, there's no ends that God didn't go to save us through Jesus. Making every effort God does through Jesus. The third thing here that really stuck out to me, so I'll read down until we get to the next part. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. And that phrase, stand firm, really came to me. What would you say if you're a mentor teaching someone about Christ? What does it mean to stand firm? When might you need to stand firm? Is that every day? Is that some days? Is that when this kind of thing happens? One of the ways that uh, like s smart people have learned that firefighters learn, it's through a uh, learning technique called um, recognition primed decision making. And that's a fancy education way to say, put yourselves in situations over and over and over again in training so that when that situation happens in real life, you'll instinctually act. You'll know what to do because you recognize it and then it, your decisions are already primed to do the right thing. It's a safety thing, and it's especially in jobs where you have to make quick decisions without all of the information. And so this is, a, this is an idea about standing firm. When, when might you need to? Some of you that have gone through this suffering realize that there are certain times when you really need to stand firm. You have to have it together today, man. This is an important one. So standing firm, I think in this situation, especially with the Philippians, and I always want to try to bring the contextual nature of the Bible back to us, because this book wasn't written to us. It was preserved, thank God, for us, but it wasn't written to us. And so what were the Philippians, in, what was Paul intending the Philippians to mean standing firm? And here's what I think partially it means. They were not only being persecuted by the local Roman government, they were being persecuted by their Jewish brothers and sisters. Yeah. 
that when they put on Christ as Lord, Jesus is King, Jesus is Messiah, the Romans were saying, no, 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 Caesar's Messiah. There's not one God, there's many gods. And we worship and praise them all, but none higher than Caesar, and we worship the Caesar. And the Christians are saying, no, we worship the Lord Jesus, Messiah, King Jesus. And they were receiving persecution, real persecution. In fact, that's why Paul even, uh, that's one of the reasons that, that Paul even got introduced to the Philippian church, because he got locked up in Philippi for a while. We can read about that in Acts 16. He's there. There was a, a girl that was enslaved by a demon. He frees her of that demon, and the people say, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're healing in Jesus' name. In jail you go. That's Paul and Silas singing the earthquake, the jailbreak, the Philippian jailer. That's that whole story. Part of the Philippian church was built on a Roman citizen who was locking Paul up, but then witnessed the miraculousness of Christianity standing firm. What are we standing firm in? I think that's very important. To know what we believe and then act on what we believe. So Christianity is not just a mental exercise of believing the right things. It's not just a mental exercise. As long as I believe the right things, then I'm good. So the idea is that our faith and our beliefs in God will trickle into our hearts and then decisions will come out of that. And that's what faith is. Faith is not just belief. It's when belief and action come together and we start doing stuff because we believe stuff. But it's not just anything. It's Jesus things. It's holy things. It's scriptural things. It's spirit-led things. So if you find yourself believing the right things, but not acting in the right ways, there's been an impenetrable force field over your heart here recently. And you need to turn the key and let that garage door open. Because until our beliefs start infecting our heart and we start doing stuff in Jesus' name, it's really not belief at all is what the Bible says. The brother of Jesus says, you show me your faith by what you believe, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. I think it's important, too, that we come to a, a decision about what we think about Jesus. And maybe you're thinking, man, Miller, what are you talking about Jesus? We're at a church. You know, we're at a church. We, well, I'm, I'm telling you, You've got to figure out, we've got to figure out what we actually believe about Jesus. And C.S. Lewis puts it this way in a beautifully uh, argued point. You've got to make a decision about Jesus because based on what he wrote and who he was and what he said, either he's a lunatic, an absolute crazy man, or he's a liar, just a narcissistic, compulsive liar, or he's the Lord that he, that he states that he is. But you can't have it both ways. He's one or the other, one of those three things. And so I think for all of us, a good way to help us stand firm is to be confident about what we know about Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? Is he a good guy? Or is he God? Did he bring a good message? Or is he Messiah, Savior? 
We've got to put our own feet to the fire about what we actually believe about Jesus, who Jesus is. In 1904, Will Thompson wrote the uh, hymn, Jesus is all the world to me. It's a familiar song to many of us. It's a song that I find myself singing. The first line, Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. Will Thompson understood that Christianity is not a mental exercise. That Christianity really starts taking hold in our life when we stand firm in one spirit, in one gospel. Jesus is one Lord, and we do that communally. That when our beliefs and our actions meet, then something beautiful is about to happen. In Jesus' name. Listen to this phrase here. There's Christians in the world right now that this verse is extremely compelling to them. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. There are Christians in the world today that are contemplating, will I live in fear today? Will I allow the hate to cause me fear Will I allow the war-making to cause me fear? Will I allow the desperate hunger to make me fear? Will I allow a loss or an illness or a separation or whatever tragedy, whatever happens, will you let whatever happens frighten you? And Paul is saying that whatever happens, do it without being frightened in any way, by those who oppose you. And remember, not only were the Philippians receiving opposition from the Roman government, but they were receiving opposition from their own brothers and sisters, the Jewish nation, because they were saying, yeah, Jesus, but this too. That you, yeah, Jesus, but you also need to practice Jewish things. And Paul's saying, don't, don't listen to it at all. It's nonsense. There's no such thing as the gospel and. The gospel plus. If you ever go to a church, if you ever come to this church, and we say, yeah, you got to believe in Jesus, you got to confess Jesus, you got to love Jesus, yeah, but you need to do things our way too to really be saved, run, get out. Because it ain't right. It ain't right. If we preach anything but the gospel of Jesus Christ for salvation, that's, that, that is it. But here in this situation with these people, they were being oppressed by their own brothers and sisters because they weren't being Jewish enough to be Christian. And it ain't right. Our preferences don't the gospel make. Jesus, 
His sacrifice, our love for Him, our faith in Him, that's the gospel, not our preferences or whomever's preferences. And all churches have preferences. I'm not picking on our church. We all have preferences. You get a bunch of people together and there's going to be preferences. Why didn't we do it that way? Why don't we do things this way? Man, I'm telling you. You know that. One of the things that we are offered in Christ that Paul is reminding the Philippian church of is we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of sin. We don't have to be afraid of doing everything right. We don't have to be afraid of of finding our own salvation and and the way to make it all right. We don't have to be afraid of knowing everything and doing the right thing and saying the right things all of the time. We don't have to be afraid of opposition because in Christ we're saved. He goes on to say, without being frightened in any way of those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved. And I want to say this, that Christian courage is a sign to everyone that God is real. Christian courage is a motivating thing. Have you ever been motivated by a Christian who stood up in the face of? Or who stayed strong despite? Or who did the right thing even though Christian courage is a motivating thing. Christian courage is absolutely inspirational. We see people doing right even when it's hard or staying true even when it's difficult. We see this over and over and over as an example in the Bible. To me, one of the most uh, inspiring, I don't know, one's Uh, is in Daniel chapter 3 with these three teenage boys who were slaves in a foreign land because they had been taken captive. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king made the edict that that he's going to build this statue and when all these things happen, you've got to bow down and worship. You come into the court where this big statue of the king is, is built and all these things are going down and the whole nation is bowing down. Can you see the image of a sea of people? A sea of people bowing with their heads to this idol. And three teenagers standing. Powerful stuff. Their disobedience of the king's edict wasn't without punishment either. In fact, it says that it made the king furious. And he made the punishment twice as bad as they've ever had it before. And the people standing around the furnace, which he was going to throw these guys into, was so hot that it was killing people that were even near it. As a metaphor, not, not only narrative true, but a metaphor for how angry this king was. How dare you not bow down to me? How dare you not obey me? How dare you? You know, they're thrown in the furnace and in one of the most compelling verses in the Bible says that, that we're not going to bow down. And our God can save us, but even if He doesn't, 
There is no guarantee that faithfulness to Jesus Christ will guarantee your safety. There's no guarantee that you'll have friends, that you'll be respected, that you will be well-liked, that things will go well for you. That ain't in there. That's a prosperity gospel that's not true. It's just not true. That those promises aren't found. The promise is I'll always be with you. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego depended on and that the king witnessed in that sign of courage from Shadrach, and, uh, Abed, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had long-lasting impact. And if you don't know this story, it's in Daniel chapter 3. And here's something that I try to tell the teenagers all the time. Every day, do something to invest in your Christian education. Read something. Listen to something. Study something. You, we're not expected to know everything right now. But if you wait forever to learn anything, you'll just have wasted all that time. So try to learn something in Jesus' name this week. Invest in your own Christian education. If you don't know this story, be inspired by it. It's in Daniel chapter 3. Another one uh, that we've already mentioned is Paul and Silas in the jail. They were in jail for healing this uh, slave girl of a demon that was possessed, uh, possessing her. They were thrown in jail. Uh, an earthquake happened. The jailer uh, expected for all of his subjects to have fled. But Paul and Silas, while worshiping, encouraged everyone just to stay. Christian courage is compelling. The jailer was saved, so family was saved, and he's one of the original members of the Philippian church. If you want to read uh, just a condensed version of Christian courage, read Hebrews chapter 11. On and on and on and on. Men and women of faith doing amazing things in Jesus' name because their nation of origin was heaven. Because their king was Jesus. It's God. True belief that's lived out in love is a powerful testimony. I read from an author this week. True belief lived out in love is a powerful testimony. I'm grateful that we're studying Philippians. I'm grateful that God gifted people to be able to write such compelling words in a, in a way that we can spend hours and hours and hours over our lives learning and studying and it's still just as true and compelling today as it was then. I would say for us, may we always, whatever happens, conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Find a way in love to talk to someone and talk with someone. Be willing to be the mentor and the mentee, to be the teacher and the student. It's very healthy. Make a decision to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy, knowing that yourselves is all of us, that we are yourselves, that this church is one piece of a global community of people that are trying to lift up Jesus as Lord, to not just believe his teachings, but to put them into practice. And I would say also, let's stand firm. 
There's an argument that Christians in America are soft because we have it so easy. One of the things that the gentleman, uh, if you come to the class, there's an older, I believe he's a Serbian uh, gentleman. He said what the Western church needs is to suffer. What the Western church really, really needs is to suffer because then Christianity will become super real to you. And, and that, that's how you'll know. There are Christians that are suffering and have been suffering. And my, 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 what I'm trying to compel myself and, and us to do is to stand firm when it's easy and when it's hard. Let's be men and women of faith that conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel.